What's up, everybody? Metal Dave Glessner here, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster, bringing you another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Today, we are joined by a central figure in the Austin music scene. Dave Pruitt is with us. Dave has been capturing live music here in Austin for almost 40 years, dating all the way back to a huge camera that he held on his shoulders and taped with VHS tapes. Uh, he's got an archive that you wouldn't believe and, uh, almost four decades worth of live music here in Austin. And, uh, we finally got him on the show. We've been wanting to have him on the show for a while. We've known him for years. We know he's got great, uh, content. He's got great stories to tell. So we're happy to finally have him with us today. The, um, the thing, and we do, we, we kind of sketch, we talk a little bit, about uh, Bloody and Bruised, the untold story of the back room, the Penny Rock Productions film that uh, we're hoping gets into South by Southwest Film Festival uh, here in March coming up. Yeah. Uh, the reason is, is because I feel like as far as the archival footage that Dave Pruitt, our guest today, has, where else would they have gone <laughs> to... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, how many video crew, how many video dudes are there? You know, video dude, dude, you know, who yeah. do you call? Who's the dude that you call who was there at the back room every week taping yeah. everything? Yeah, and not just the back room, every live music venue in Austin. And of course, you know, those are a dime a dozen. Yeah, Dave's but, but been first, to all of them. But specific, and yes, and and I'm not dumbing down any of that at all. But the fact that if you're okay, if you're going to make a film about the old Antones when it was on Guadalupe Street, yeah, who, who I, I don't know call? if he had a had a camera <laughs> on his back then. He may have shit. If we're talking about Dave Pruitt, but if you want to make a movie about that old Antones. I bet he has plenty of footage for them to use. That's our point, both respective points. Yeah. Anyway, they long as I remember, for as long as I can remember going to shows in Austin, you could always find Dave standing on a table or off to the side of the stage or whatever. He always was there and had a camera rolling. And that's just the shows I was at. So he was <laughs> he was doing that all, you know, multiple days a week. I think he said four or five nights a week he was out on the town for years and years and years and years. So you add all that up and he's got more VHS tapes and now digital files, et cetera. I mean, the library's just gotta be mind blowing if you go from A to Z. I feel like and I've I've been talking about this for years. There's not uh, a prestigious enough award that you could give to someone like Dave Pruitt. Well said. Yeah. I just don't, I don't think it exists uh, of how important it is for someone to be in the underground as well as popular artists too, you know, uh, having a video show and it's like having a fanzine, you know, if someone subscribes to a, a punk rock fanzine, it costs 50 cents or a dollar or something back in the day, you know, they're not getting rich off of that. They probably gave it away. They never made their quarters or their 75 cents after printing in the early 80s. You know, it's yeah. not it's not a cash business. No, 
No, it's not. And that, I mean, that one of the things I mentioned in the show is, I mean, I can't believe his stamina. I mean, he's, he's our age yeah. and he's been going out four or five nights a week for almost 40 years. I can't do that anymore. And I'm not lugging a camera. Now the cameras are much smaller, of course, and it's a little bit more manageable, but that's the kind of dedication we're talking about. And as you said, he's not getting paid for this. There's not a lot of money involved, if any, and uh, and he's just that passionate about it. He's he has won some awards. He has apparently he's got two Billboard awards. Yeah, yeah, and, and more. Awards. But I just don't think on the as far as like what should be appreciated about Dave Pruitt and his gang. Yeah, I, I don't think that you can. I don't have words for it. Yeah, it's it, it really is. <laughs> there are no words for it. I mean, I I, what more can that. I say? 40 yeah. years in the trenches every night, every night, 40 years. Just just to document live rock and roll music is that you could put it at that. But there's it's more than that. I mean, he he's uh, he has a I think I use the three different words, uh, legacy, uh, uh, infamous, famous. Uh, whatever it is about his uh, last video interview that he, that uh, Bill Hicks, uh, the comedian, yeah. uh, that was Bill Hicks's last video interview uh, on Dave's show, yeah, and it's 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 infamous or famous, you know, whatever the wor correct word is, because holy shit. You know, yeah. and no one knew. He, Bill Hicks didn't. No one, you know, next thing you know, he was passed on, and it's terrible. Um, on that note, we we have to mention Nathan Oliveris, who was uh, Dave Pruitt's partner in crime and pretty much the cheerleader, the go-getter, and pretty much the juice uh, on his crew uh, who uh, has recently passed. And... Uh, will just be incredibly missed. And once again, in, in the movie, I spoke of bloody and bruise, the untold story of the back room. We mentioned the trailers and the, and the short film they're using for promo and, and stuff without Nathan Oliveris and Dave Pruitt's footage. It wouldn't be what it is. Yeah. Uh, so massive contribution. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. So Dave Pruitt is, uh, is such a good dude. He is such a good dude, man. Um, he has nothing but love and respect for his community and for the art being created. Uh, his sons are talented. Uh, he, his he has contributed in in that way too. That his his offspring is part of our blood and his blood, and it's in the water, man. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, he's a he's he's an incredible person. He uh, is the biggest one of the biggest uh, music archivists in uh, the Austin, Texas, live music capital of the world. His name is Dave Pruitt on the Talk Louder podcast. How did you get into uh, basically? It, it's a loaded question, and you can take as long as you want to answer it. <clears throat> How did you get into public access? How did you get into video production, audio video production? Because it's not at this point, it's not 
just as we are well uh, up to our necks in with technical shit with mixing the Watchtower stuff. But the point that I'm getting at is, how did you get into the AV and TV and hosting? And yeah, we'll start with that. Yeah, man, that's that's a handful for sure. God, I guess it really kind of goes back to uh, early 80s whenever VHS cameras came out. My grandfather bought me one, like, you know, it was the size of a suitcase. And uh, I took it around in Lano where I was living growing up and probably videotaped friends and, you know, radio stations that I was listening to KTSA back in the day and mm -hmm. uh, just having fun with a video camera, you know, and uh, that grew into as I got into Austin at age 18, basically flipping on the TV and you would see tons of access programs on and all sorts of footage was, was happening. A lot of political, a lot of religious, but there were some stalwarts doing music, man. Kevin Roberts, Sue Cole, and uh, even, even uh, the television guy, Scott Spurlock, were all doing like TV programs, Hank Sinatra, Texas music show. There was all these music shows and I would see local bands on there and I was like, that's cool. And I would always watch, but I had one of those suitcase VHS machines and lugged it around on my shoulder when I met this local band, probably 80, I'll say 86, 87 called mud pie. And, uh, you know, I, they were kind of a Southern rock half cover, half original band. And I'd go videotape their gigs and we'd sit around the couch and get a case at the weekend after the gig and slam beers and watch the show. And then I was like, how do I get that on that channel? You know? And uh, I'd say that was about 87 when I went and I went to the Dowerty Art Center, which uh, was giving the lessons at the time. And most of the access programs came out of the Dowerty Art Center. Isn't so that place, I'm sorry to interrupt, which I'm no. really good at, but isn't the Dowerty Art Center over there by Palmer? Yes. Like we're sort of behind where the old Austin City Coliseum used to be. 100%. Wow, yes. I passed by that. Yeah, I used to pass by there on a daily fucking basis. Uh, that's hallowed ground there because the original Waterloo Records was right there. Uh, that's such a cool neighborhood right there, close to Zilker and all that. I pass by that place all the time. I had no idea what the hell that was. I just thought it was some fancy yoga studio or something. <laughs> yeah, and it's still doing great stuff. A lot of art wow. comes there, you know. Okay, okay. It, it's a good place, but that's where they were located at the time. And I took a camera course, and uh, I don't know, man. It felt pretty daunting because it wasn't my suitcase. It was new, and it had wires and a portable machine and it felt very challenging so i was like hmm all right let me get my suitcase and i went out and probably about that time started hitting the back room a lot and we all remember we're veterans of the back room and we know how they put bills together you know and like you could see four bands seven nights a week and uh hit record man and so i started documenting every show i went to and started having many more beers on the weekends with bands and watching the videos on my couch you know um uh, fast forward probably three years of that and i've got just cases of tapes and stuff i'm like all right i gotta figure this out man and uh late 89 
I uh, went to the access facility again and I was like, what do I need to do? Because I've got all this stuff and I really want to be one of those shows that I watch, you know? So they said, Oh, let me see. What's your name? Oh yeah. This is uh this is probably a good time for you to take an edit course because if you don't do anything in three years, we purge the records. I'm like, sign me up for the edit course. And so Sue Cole gave me the edit class and I learned how to put shows together. So in probably mid 89, I started rolling uh, those VHS tapes over to these big broadcast tapes that were called U-Matic videotapes, and they were 30-minute programs. We aired on Friday and Saturdays. Uh, I want to say it was 5.30 to 6 in the afternoon from about June of 89 until we went live at the end of that year. And first show was Pariah, of course. And, nice. Uh, yeah, we had to do like, you know, Near Dark and you know the drill and that's what we were doing man and and uh those shows caught ground and i was like okay that's cool but i see these call-ins oh how do i do that you know and so mm. i took the studio courses i took the advanced editing courses and in 1990 we went live and uh i was like man i'm doing local music who's gonna be my biggest audience and i'm like that's going to be people like after midnight. And so I shot for Saturday nights when people were getting home from, from gigs. And at the time it was kind of unlimited with the airtime that you would get. So I chose midnight to 4 AM. I don't know what I was thinking and how I did that, but four <laughs> hours every week, man. Oh and uh, yeah, sure is, enough, man. Is this cap size we're talking about? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Capsize is my heart and is my passion. Raw time came, raw time came around as more of a have to kind of thing. And uh, that's a whole nother story. So, um, you know, we get on there and we'd play videos and people would always be like, Hey, dude, can you play some Metallica? I'm like, mm, nope. As soon as they move to Texas. Hey man, we play Van Halen. Nope. As soon as they move to Texas, it's all Texas music. So yeah. we push that envelope. I'm like, here's some more bands you haven't heard of. And, you know, they're like, oh, that band that you just played, what were they called? Fuck you, fat guy. And I was like, mm, cool. <laughs> right, right. You, it, it was, let me pause for a second and say the the glutton for punishment hat you chose to wear by going live and taking phone calls. Because uh, just... You know, when you throw yourself out there like that, you, you got big balls because I'm looking for the button on social media in modern times. I'm looking for the button that says no comments. Don't get I'm not asking you for a review of shit. You like it. You follow it. You don't mm -hmm. like it. You fuck off. Right. So the fact that you are. As an artist, technically, you're like a, a, a an MC, video, I don't want to say a VJ. It's kind of what you are, but you're you're kind of like a DJ, a a VJ, a uh, a um a host. Uh, all of these words come to mind, but you're also on the technical side Cult of it. What yeah. what was that? A cultivator. Okay. Cultivator, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that because you did. Let's let's let me just call it that. You did create culture uh during a a time 
that I feel like uh, Austin needed a culture and was budding as its own sort of like underground rock culture between sure. We mentioned the back room and we can talk about the back room for hours. Uh, but you had the black cat and you had st all of sixth street was around that time. It was still cool to be on sixth street and play a gig on sixth street yep. and all those years South by Southwest coming around. What did you have to do to film bands that came through during South by did you have to do anything different for your show well gain momentum um I guess win over Margaret Mosher's heart was mm. kind of what I felt like did it mm -hmm. and uh that was definitely not by intention I've never done anything that we've done because I wanted to get someone's attention other than everybody um but she took a real liking to what we did. And I guess that made us cool for that little circuit, right? So um, Casey Monahan, mm. uh, all those Texas cool people, man, were yeah. big supporters of what I did. And so early on, um, I'd say it wasn't really so much early on for South by because we were always, you know, the drill, man. We were, we were, the kids in black, we didn't like want to be on the cool team, you know, but yeah, um, they reached out and were like, Hey, do you want to cover some of South by? And I'm like, I guess so. Do I get to pick where I get want to go? And yeah. And they're like, here's a badge. I'm like, oh, okay. And then wow, the first one on to the last one that I did, it became increasingly um, like you might expect it to be. It was like, okay, well, fill out the thing. Now you got to apply. I'm like, all right, cool. What, I'm going to get one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll just apply. And then it just became like, by the time I got to the end of it, the last two South buys that I officially was involved with, uh, it was, uh, yeah, here's the badge, but you can only take, you know, 15 seconds of video and, and we need to review everything you're doing. I'm like, see ya. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was one of my questions. It was easy for you to say sayonara. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they made it easy for you to go. It was time for yeah. you to go, probably. Yeah. yeah. How long it, was Capsize on the air? Oh, man. Well, we're finally back, so it's kind of, you know, it's a work in progress. But uh, we went from 1990 to 2016 or something, I think, continuous. Wow. Uh, and then we turned into Dave TV for a hot minute after I took a break. The uh, facility, there's a lot of reasons, of course, burnout being one of them. But um, the facility that they had at the time and the management they had at the time were not putting any of the monies that they were given by the city, which is, by the way, how they function. The city has a grant that they give them. And, you know, now they couple that with training, paying people for train, you know, to train for classes and all that stuff to get a credit but um so they get money from the city and it wasn't being used appropriately so the gear at the studio was breaking down so i'd try to go on the air and do a live show and look like an idiot because all their gear was broke and mm. i'm like man it's getting to the day and age where i can go buy gear and do this on my own yeah so yeah. i had already started amassing gear in about 2001 um and chris carrillo and i were going out with a couple of v like eight millimeter camcorders and mini dv camcorders and uh mini disc recorder and going to clubs and i was putting that at home on my computer back in 2001 
So I was like, I know I can do this. I don't need the studio. And that I took a break, you know. Um, it still wasn't really, it, I did a lot of things quick on Raw Time, for instance, because it kind of is similar to what happened with doing it on my own. You know, the, the Play Metallic, Play Van Halen, whatever, like, I wanted to have as many people seeing what I did as possible. So, you know, you get a bigger crowd, of course, right? And uh, I asked Scott Spurlock from Dolovision, well, how do you play those music videos? Because he he played, you know, Metallica, Van Halen, you name it. And he said, just write the labels and tell them you have airtime and send them a copy of the show. So I did just that. And uh, Raw Time was born in 91. And I did Raw Time probably till 07, it feels like. And wow. uh, one part I didn't, since we're in that pool, one thing I didn't address is being on the air. It's not like I ever really wanted to be on the camera, but several things made that be a thing. And uh, Cat Size, I was on because I knew the bands and I started to talk to them. And then I, uh, I think it was about 91, I hired Nathan to do the show. I say hired, yeah. we got big zeros for our pay so but Nathan right. joined the show and he started interviewing bands and um it got to probably half a dozen times over the decades of capsize that I said nah dude you're way too high to do this you're asking stupid questions you're doing whatever that I let him go <laughs> and I had to come in because right. I felt like right. questions being asked weren't relevant and so I always had this vision of what needed to be said so yeah. I became, I was like, I feel bad getting someone down here for free and then telling them don't do it. So I ended up being the guy nine times out of 10. But uh, when I did Raw Time, it, uh, I wanted another face. So we went through numerous people on Raw Time to try to give it another identity. Or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. But back to, you know, getting away from it and doing it on my own, you know, it, uh, it led to a lot of opportunities and things. Um, while I had been the first show in the 90s when we were cool to beat Austin City Limits in the Austin Chronicle Music Poll, which we did three times, that was great. Uh, in that very same few years, I won two Billboard Magazine Awards. So I, I was like, dude, short of the statue Jason wants to build me, I'm I'm set, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about that. And 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 I love the joke because it, you wouldn't have used it as a joke if it wasn't a running joke between at least you and me. Yeah, totally. But it's been one of the things that I sort of uh, in the past have said on stage in the mic in front of hundreds and hundreds of people for years now that, you know, why isn't there a grant? under your name why isn't there why aren't you being recognized in another way other than just getting a five dollar frame with a xerox copy of of a yay you won again in the austin chronicle awards for being a cool on on public access television host yada yada because i feel like it's not enough you are an artist you entertained this town for decades and still are and now you're online so it's like whoever in uh globally wants to check it out they can yeah absolutely so I there's it's it, a it's, it's you you've got these big 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 shoes that you didn't even buy you that you just walk around in them and i i just <laughs> I just think that there's something to, you know, and people can make all the Wayne's World jokes they want 
uh, if you were here and you understood what, you know, you and your show and all of your whole team, you and Nathan, especially, because that's when I feel like it started to get big and it was, it became important. The questions that Nathan might've been uh, asking artists, they, they should have been, you know, you, uh, dialed in. <laughs> but I think during that time, you guys, it became a real thing in my eyes. It became yeah. like, it became like, okay, people are starting to pay attention to you guys. And that's probably why you were like, Hey dude, you can't, you're too high. You can't, <laughs> I know yeah. you're having fun, bro, but Hey man. It's, at some know. point it starts to become at least semi-professional, right? This kind wow. of start, it starts off with Dave, having an interest in doing this and he's kind of doing it as a hobby, then it gets some traction, then it gets an audience. And then you go, wow, uh, I might need to represent myself a little better, or I might need to, you know, play some of the, play some of the game, you know, with the South eyes and whatever, and maybe the clubs have some politics or at work. And so you start, you, you start to make concessions, even though you don't really want to, because it's the way to get to the next level. And I so, I want to know. Uh, I'm just saying I can't complain about the taste if I don't try. Yeah, yeah. I think what Jason is saying, at least in my mind, I'm following his question. And I, I feel like, you know, we are in Austin, Texas. This is called the live music capital of the world. You are arguably the biggest archivist in this city. And it seems to me that a city that promotes itself as a live music capital would look at a guy like you and, and maybe offer some sort of position on the, you know, I, I don't, I don't even know what it is, but don't we have a music, uh, some, some sort of organization? What, what does Casey Monahan run? What's that organization? Well, I, I think he's stepped down, but yeah, he was with the Texas music folks. I, I wish there was, I am open to it. I am absolutely of the mind where I used to kind of avoid this whole thing. Um, but I'm definitely more open to it in my, uh, in my age, but like, uh, you know, well, it's time. Well, it's it's time for you to think like that. I think is what Dave is is yeah. kind of saying roundabout. Yeah, is that it um, turns professional, and you and and there are doors that are either going to open to you if you want them to, you know, if you want to answer the call, or the, it would be a phone call away, and they would go, "Yeah, Dave Pruitt, I've been I've been hoping you would call us and join us." You know, it would be great, and I've I've tried a few things, you know. Unfortunately, Nathan's gone now, and yeah. it'll never be the same, you know. No. And I don't want to be gone and not see all this work that I say we because it's not me; it's all the crew members, yeah. it's all the bands, it's all the clubs. So all this work that we have done not get recognized in some way and just be boxes that my family have to go through and decide what to do with. So I have reached out to like the Texas music archives and things like that have been like i have got ungodly amounts of stuff what can you do and they're like oh you know bring us three or four of them i'm like you don't understand yeah that doesn't yeah 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 i wanted to oh, ask about capsize real quick just here's the nerd in me uh the spelling why why did you go with the uh, the unusual spelling was it a was there something else already called capsize so you had to spell it differently or you're just trying to keep Austin awesome. weird or what yep not there's absolutely a story so wayne keith uh I, I had roomed with wayne keith when i was oh god 
you remember drumstick wayne don't you jason yeah yeah, yeah. so he and i roomed and uh crazy partier I, I saw him just a few years ago so i know he's still the same okay far <laughs> out um, unfortunately all those drumsticks burned in a fire so there's that yeah i remember i remember that how so did you get it, the name tell me about the nickname drumstick wayne before you move on and that dude <laughs> where do you start definitely. yeah probably more shows than me you know like when i was before tv i subbed for Corey and ray on the ktsb metal show and and like that was what 87 88 or something like that it feels like and you know he and i have been already going to shows forever so i'm not sure when he started but he every band he would stay to the end and not leave until the drummer or the tech got him a drumstick and then he had to go get it signed and then he had them on his wall they were very well placed and I don't even know the number. I'm sure he could tell you 3,416. Yeah. But he had literally thousands of drumsticks from decades of live music. And I mean, everybody from Watchtower Pariah near dark all the way up to the Allman Brothers and Robert Plant and everybody in the middle. You know? so, so so I have a quick story about Drumstick Wayne. And uh, he, uh, he, there there is that, well, it's roundabout. So, so there is, I want to say one of your dangerous toy shows in the early 90s and i'm pretty pretty sure it was at the back room and i think that we had left the stage and we're we're you know toweling off and probably going to come back out and do another uh, another song and the cameras are still rolling audio is still rolling still recording and i hear in the background get that stick get that stick get over and over a hundred times it wasn't like one more song one all i heard was get that stick off camera he's you know wayne's not in the shot i don't believe but that's all i hear and that's drumstick wayne yeah he is ruthless. <laughs> it didn't matter like, right he, only yeah, down to where he had no manners, didn't give a shit. He was going to bother everyone in the house until he got what he needed. <laughs> God bless the man. Yeah, you so got how to, did that man. lead to the spelling of uh, capsize? He and I, you know, this was in the period where I had been archiving all sorts of shows from bands that I went to see in the VHS tapes and going through the courses. And now I've got this opportunity to do a show. What do I call it? And so, um, so many layers to it, but essentially CAP is capital of Texas, right? Austin. So CAP, uh, eyes, eyes on Texas music. So CAP is eyes. The um, Zs are capitalized because who's from Texas? ZZ Top. Yeah. Um, the imagery was as many Texas things as we could think of. And we kind of came at Beverly Barrington with it and went, here's our ideas. Do something. Yeah. <laughs> and um you know igniter uh, beverly yeah yeah i didn't Crazy. know she did that logo for y'all she did man that's rad and uh uh you know we gave her uh 50 1988 <laughs> <laughs> all right um, and it's you know i wish i could give her more i i sent her a message recently actually because the p is no longer uh acceptable as a as a as a uh uh -oh. You know, uh, so the C was a coral snake. Okay. Uh, the A was the capital of Texas. The P was 
a Cowboys news, which doesn't get received real well anymore. So, right, right. Because it we, looks we like because it look it looks like something else, but it's a lasso. Lasso. Yeah, it's a lasso. It's a lasso. Right. So, um, I've I've photoshopped something in there since I brought the show back, just so I can still use it. And I've messaged her about what do we do. So maybe one day there'll be an amendment. But uh, yeah, so she draw the 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 skull of the cow with the Y for the horns as they come out and meet the Z, and then two bony E's in there. So that's the whole thing, man. What was the P wow. that you can't use the P? What is it? It's what the lasso. It? Yeah, you know. And, oh, so it was the lasso that you can't. Yeah, that was the yeah, P. Took okay. The P out. All right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in the early days, how many nights a week would you say you were out filming gigs? Just to give people some perspective here. Four or five on a slow week. Wow. <laughs> That's insane, man. With no paycheck. No paycheck. So yeah. let me set this up to I called you an artist earlier. And don't throw anything at me for calling you an artist, but um, I'll take it. Here's the, here's the deal is when you're in a band and all of the work that you're doing to, before you get to the studio, to rehearsal, to the show, you're spending your own money. And then the money that you make at a show is pro could be zero. It could be enough to buy dinner or a little bit of gas, but you, you're not getting compensated for the money you've spent on guitar strings and sticks and equipment and cables and gas and gas and food to survive on the days that you're not playing and you have a day job. So I put what who you are and, and your crew you guys are working between you guys are working on your your art in between working your day job and taking care of your kids and your families and your mortgages and things like that just like a musician you're creating material that is even though i mean it it is you know the songs are are so the 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 bands and the musicians uh intellectual property but the editing and the classes you took and the knowledge and that, that that's your intellectual property your logo and your banner and your umbrella and your company and your people and your these are personalities those are like members of your band i've always thought of it that way and i haven't had an avenue to express that to you other than here on talk louder did you ever feel did you ever did you ever think you ever think it was like that before like you like you you and your and your crew and your people or whoever you're dragging out now it's your son <laughs> you're dragging everyone out to work whoever will hold a microphone boom or hold a camera or run a cable or you know yeah it's uh it's always been family whether you know we're talking about blood or not like yeah. everyone that came out and worked on the show is yeah. family and uh these days it's essentially old bitty james and yep. me and that's it and the wow. two of us do the show that's seen weekly these days uh i am entertaining since nathan passed a, a person to come in because i do need another set of hands and we've had a couple people come and go haven't locked one down to give their life blood every sunday and that's something that should be said it's not just like eh, you know we're gonna do this a couple times a month it's Every Sunday we tape, and all those years was 
every Saturday night we were at the studio every every Saturday night. So I missed gigs, uh, you know, that I would have loved to have seen opportunities with friends and families just to do the show. And that alone was a sacrifice, you know, as it is to this day. I I shoot it on Sunday morning. I edit it Monday, Tuesday, turn it in Tuesday night. And it airs the not the following Saturday, but essentially 13 days after we tape it. The show is aired. We do it taped now because of things like Dave said, where you got to turn it up a notch and be more satisfied with the end product. Call it professional, call it learning what you're doing, call it what you want. But we've always been family. And uh, I think it was not until I met my beautiful bride that I embraced the term artist. Um, Yeah. Well, the, I just, one I was just one I just pinned on your sleeve, but yeah, you've always been an artist. To me, it's crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, man. I can uh, I can totally appreciate the level of sacrifice you're speaking of. On, on to some degree, Jason and I are in the same boat. I mean, we've only been doing this for three years, but we've put out a new episode every Wednesday for three freaking years, and that blows my mind when I think about it. And we give up Sunday afternoons. We give up Friday nights. Uh, we Sometimes we have to do this on our lunch break if it's a national artist who's on tour and they can only talk to you at one o'clock in the afternoon or something. But the level of uh, commitment that you're talking about, uh, I, I, I get it. I feel your pain. I know I, I can totally understand what you're talking about. And I don't think most people that view the finished product have any idea. I mean, they probably acknowledge that there's some work that goes into it, obviously, and some preparation and that sort of thing. But if you broke down the number of hours per week that you pour into this, they'd be astonished. And I mean, especially if you look back at the archives and break those down, because as I mentioned earlier on, we were doing four-hour programs. And then when Raw Time rolled around for a while there, we were still allowed to do four-hour programs. So not only once a week, but twice a week, I was doing two four-hour programs that had a couple of hours of setup on the end and an hour of teardown on the other. And, you know, you throw in all the drinking you had to do to take those phone calls, man, we've got, you know, half a day already. Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember the first time you taped, uh, first time you filmed Jason? I remember that Kevin Roberts was the one that documented some of my first time seeing Jason. I remember the first time I took stills, which was Triple X, David Spann's band, and Watchtower at Steamboat. Wow, yeah. That um, was uh, January of 85. Wow, huh? I'm thinking I don't have any of my own Watchtower footage from like the Ritz era. Um, thinking we probably did Dangerous Toys first, and that would have been about 91 or two, you say, Jason? Yeah, you did two, you did two shows in 92 that are like my favorites. Yeah. And one of them was better. One of them was better than just, this is just my opinion. One of them was better than the other probably performance or just where the camera, where the cameras were stationed or whatever in the editing. Uh, but I was I was pretty amazed sometimes at the live uh, soundboard, and you know what you what your finished product or what was pretty fucking good for just being like okay we're going and we're taping and here it is and you just had to mix it 
Were you were you multi-tracking audio then, or was it just a board tape mixed with some ca- live camera mics? The uh, the former. So yeah, yeah. I, I multi-track now, and I'll just yeah. say before I forget, I think uh, Jason is like one of the only friends in bands that has never performed in my studio live. So, mm. hey man, <laughs> but, uh, because I'm afraid. Yeah, I know you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But back then there's a couple things that went on. So um and and just to final that, we are taped now, so we can, you know, edit the multi-track and the monitor. Well, that's that's good. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> but yeah, back in the day, I would stand on a chair with the suitcase camera and uh I was just doing open mic for the room, and then I was like, I bet if I plug a cable into the soundboard and then into the mic jack on the camera. And it sounds pretty good. And so I did that and it was kind of dry, but it was a soundboard. And I was like, oh, that's yeah. pretty good. And yeah. when I listened to the playback, I realized when I was pulling the cable in and out, like when it was halfway, left channel would stay camera mic and right channel would be soundboard. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah. yeah. So I'd have to put my earphones on and like wiggle it till it was right. So that was yeah. step one of figuring out some of the better sounding. So audio. you could get the room. The room is going into your camera mic, but you're still getting the 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 dry mix off the mixing desk. Yeah. Wow. So then when we took the multicam out, which was that truckload of gear, um, it did have it was left right. It wasn't multi-channel, but it did have a little six-channel mixer. So I took the stereo board feed and I ran two mics in the room and I just put my cans on and went, mm, that sounds pretty good. And then that's how all the stuff you're referring to, Jason, became a thing. Yeah, and I remember you were getting. That's when it started to take on a new life and s- sound and look semi-pro shot. Yep. And that's uh, where we're at today, man. I multi-track yeah. it. We run, you know, sixteen channels or whatever, and I go home and I mix it. I run it by the band. Sometimes, for instance, the band snare went, and they took the snare track and redid it or put samples in there and sent it back to me, and I fold that in and then i master that out to like four or five 4k cameras we use now uh i edit everything at home after the show so i can pick the best shots and make sure it's as professional as i can possibly get i love this kind of production because if the band i mean if you like the band enough to put your uh time and effort and care and love into it because that's what it fucking is uh and the band is, if they're like, yeah, whatever, and then they have no right to get mad at you because the snare was all farty sounding. Mm-hmm. They had, they can't get mad. Oh man, that's the thing. Well, you know, you you didn't give a shit when we were there, and you, if you care, you know, I shared all the files with you, and you didn't. Blah, 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 blah. So yeah. I have a show to do, and you, I was invited, and blah blah blah. blah. If I wasn't totally. invited, you would have fucking told me so. The scheduling thing, the calendar thing, that's a whole next, that's like, hey, dudes, when are we going to rehearse? It's the same thing. I go back to it's exactly like being in a band. You have to schedule this shit. Yep. You have to be serious about it. You have to uh, not want to just play for beer is a good example. Yeah. Yeah. There comes a time when in your, whatever it is you do that you cannot work for beer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You just can't. What are some of the uh, most memorable shows you've taped? One I want I want to talk about that's hilarious is so uh, I never forget 
we changed the way we do things because of uh, the first band that acts to play live in the studio. You know, our content was shot at location most of the time. Like I had either a video given to me or I shot live footage and we played those back. And then uh, Lee and Donnie and the boys in Porcelain Grind were like, can we come play in the studio? And I'm like, uh, I'm sure. Wow. Uh, what do you do? You know, so uh, I'd had like two microphones in the room, you know, and I was like, um, set up over there or whatever, you know. And so we did it. but. Uh, Donnie had been to see the Dangerous Toys the night before, and uh, he caught Jason's shirt, which he was very proud of. So he wore it on the show, and he had his tight pants on. And uh, well, we had a monitor in the studio, so he wanted to see how good he looked through all of the songs. <laughs> and uh, I think it was maybe two songs in, and it went from just admiring how wonderful he looked into sizing up his box on the camera uh oh <laughs> and i was like all right starting next band we have that monitor has got to be turned away from the band so we don't let the band see the monitor when they're taping anymore <laughs> right so they cannot aim their their bosom towards the shot towards yeah. the camera eye right 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me but, uh, let me let me jump in real quick hold the thought because the shirt that he caught at the Dangerous Toys show is a shirt that I hand painted. It's a Beastie Boys shirt. And it said Rhyming and Stealing. And it was a hand painted shirt that, if I recall, I wore in a, a pinup mag uh, in uh, like Circus Magazine. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's one of my favorite shirts, but I did, I did decide, oh, I'll just paint another one. And I, and I, uh, you know, did a strip tease and threw it off and I'm glad Donnie caught it. I'm glad someone who was a friend of mine caught it and, and was down with it. So, exactly. Yeah, man. Yeah. That was a, a story for, for life. I wanted to share with you. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I, ha I have some moments that go, that go back. Tell I, us about the Mia Jovovich taping. Where that was, was that? What year was that? Where? Uh, uh, I'm. I'm not. I don't want to guess. I. I can yeah, guess, so, and maybe I'm right, but I don't want to. Tell us about all that. Good. All good. So, um, I'm gonna have to try to think what month, but the year was '94. It, it, it only matters because essentially, um, Meal was one of the records that I got through Raw Time. And we were like the only show playing the video. And I thought it was great. It was like yeah. eclectic Ukrainian theme music mixed with pop. It was produced by Ru uh, Rupert Hines. Okay. Wow. Down. Yeah. yeah. So I was a fan and she came through to play Cactus Cafe in early 94 uh, and did an in-store appearance at Tower Records. That's right. On the, on the drag. Yeah, man. Yeah. And I went in there and she had been on the cover of a High Times magazine at the time. And uh, I brought that in and the, the label, I think it was EMI at the time, set us up to do a little liner with her. Hey, you're watching Raw Time. So I knew I was going to hang out and do that and uh, had her sign the High Times. And, you know, I was a fan and, and supporter. So I went back there and we did the, the liner for the show. When she was signing the magazine, she had noticed I was wearing a, a surfer shirt that had a weed leaf up here. Okay. And she's like, sign and stopped and looked, smile, sign, 
looked again and she's like, do you know where to get any? I was like, say no more, say no more. <laughs> wow. We're talking Mia Jovovich. Yes. Sounds wow. like, sounds like, uh, she's part hippie chick. No, you think? Yeah. Uh, but so, I, but uh, I wouldn't, but I wouldn't have thought that in like modern times where she's uh, the face of uh, the franchise Resident Evil. You know what I mean? You wouldn't think hippie chick. You would think yeah, like another world. Yeah, uh, action star. She's <laughs> exactly. a fucking action star. You know, she was John Wick before John Wick. It's kind so of did you, we, did you did you hook her up? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I so, love it. I love between, it. You know, between the Tower in store and the Cactus Cafe show, we just uh, we took care of the issue and then hung out in the van all day. Her and Chris, her keyboard player, who's one of the kindest, most amazing, talented Aww. musicians I've ever met in my life. And uh, <laughs> you know, she she did what you do when you get those those things and then like yeah. when she got on stage at cactus she was just giggling pretty much through the whole show oh um well so the and, music the music must have just been super super chill did and oh, you, yeah. and you recorded cool. the show yeah that's yeah. up there but so the, the big one most folks have saw was at liberty lunch um essentially at that cactus because it all bridges together at the cactus cafe show this is goes back to the dedication of doing TV. The Cactus Cafe show was a Saturday night. We know what I did on Saturday nights in the 90s. And I was right. like, I got to get, I got to go. I got to go. It's 1140 and we're on the air at midnight. Oh, My crew had yeah. a band set up. Bevis Griffin was playing. And wow, I got to be there. So did I you ran make out. What, again, <laughs> I ran out of the, the club. I was on my way to the car. And I hear, Dave, Dave. And I'm like, oh, I guess it's somebody who watches on DC. And it was Mila leaning out of the window from her dressing room and asking me to come hang out after the show. And there was a line of people waiting to meet her. And I was like, ah, I got to run up there and explain what's going on, you know? So I yeah. ran up there and I'm like, hey, I, I what I do is going on now. I got to go. I got to go. And we exchanged numbers and said, when she came to town, we'll hook up again. And so I went and did the show instead of hanging out all night and partying with Chris and her Mila and her band. <clears throat> so then I went and did the show and it sucked and it was done. <laughs> but um, so she called. It, it, it wasn't that bad. Maybe compared to some with Mila Jovovich, maybe. You know, maybe. well, Bevis didn't have a great night. You know, it's hard to play uh, that okay. game. So, um, okay. yeah. Anyhow, she called and we did a phoner on Raw Time and she said she was coming back to town with Toad the Wet Sprocket. And I'm like, oh, great. We'll get the good gear and we'll come out and do it right. And so I got five cameras set up for that, that gig and we rolled in and Liberty Lunch. And this was June of 94, I want to say. Wow. Uh, I may be off on the, the months, but it was 94. And we were, you know, setting the gear up. And Robert Barton has a has a great story. He was on our production crew at the time, and uh, uh, he's from the Texas Music 
show back in the day on Access, one of those shows I watched before I went on. He joined my crew. So we're setting up all the gear. James and, and myself are going and running cables and getting those huge cameras set up and tripods. And the Toad the Wet Sprocket manager comes running out all freaked out like, oh, we can't have any video in here. And Robert was like, yeah, we can. And they had this whole interaction and uh, put him in his place. And we shot the video. It's on YouTube. And it was probably one of the most amazing videos I've ever created. Wow. 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 There's a photo that you share from time to time on social media of you with Jimmy Vaughn and Stevie Ray Vaughn. Mm. And is that related to any of your tapings or is that just uh, you happen to be at a gig and you caught them? Yep. I was a big fan of all of the Vaughns and all of the blues in probably about 83 to 87. I spent a lot of nights at uh, the Antones on Guadalupe. And uh, it was funny because Clifford it felt like he took me under his wing for what I was like the kid that was at the blues bar, you know, and he'd always tell me just these crazy stories and, uh, you know, uh, little quips like, you know, you can't learn to play the blues, you live the blues and it just happens. And like, he would tell me, oh, th these people are good. And this one, no, and all this stuff. So I would always go see the Vons and I went to all the T-Bird Riverfest, the New Year's Eve bash with, with the T-Birds. Uh, became good friends with uh, most of the guys in the band, you know, and uh, uh, Chuck Lavelle specifically when he was playing an amazing keyboard player. And, and we got pretty tight and he invited me to go to Houston to see them one night after hanging out at, at Antone's when they were jamming with somebody, I don't know who, but it wasn't like a T-Bird gig, but they were in there playing. And I was like, well, hell yeah, I'm going to go to to Houston with you guys, you know? And so I went and they had a show with, uh, it was the T-Birds and uh, Charlie Daniels band. Uh, wow. Was, what is the station over there? 101, Hail Well, was that? That sounds that right. Yeah. 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 Um, and so I was back at the pass, I was backstage chilling and, uh, saw Charlie Daniels come in and got a photo with Charlie Daniels. Awesome. And then, uh, I saw Jimmy and his late, I'm sorry, Stevie and his lady coming in with Jimmy. And I just said, Hey man, let's get a photo. And that's that photo, man. It was like 80, I want to say it's 85 or 86. Wow. Yeah. Did you ever tape uh, any Stevie performances or Jimmy performances? I would, I would guess you did, but. Well, I taped some Jimmy stuff uh later in the day when he did a benefit at what is now come and take it it was antones at the time right but um stevie i have like live audio uh cassettes of but i wasn't really doing my thing and you know they were they were signed so you'd have to go through hurdles to take care of all of that i used to uh go to school with stevie had been married to lenny for a while before they divorced horribly and uh i went to school with Lenny's sister. So I got to like hang out with that group of folks, seeing Stevie dozens of times and help them fix his carburetor one time. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Far out, man. <laughs> Far so out. For sure. That's that's a lot of legend in 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 a in a short time. Um Dude, another uh, let's talk about uh let's talk about um Bill. Let's talk about Bill. Bill because... who? who we talk about? <laughs> Bill Hicks, right? Yeah, so, that's right. You know, it's one of those things because that I, I believe it's a, it's either infamous or famous or mm -hmm. legendary. It's one of those words. You pick one. Yeah. Where 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 you and Bill sitting down 
at the studio just talking about because it's not him doing a stand-up it's you guys hanging out chatting yep it's really what year uh, is that what year uh 94 okay like months later he was dead right yeah he was, was already he was already he was already a budding comic and was starting to gain momentum right before he passed yeah yep that was the last video interview he ever did i knew so, that yeah. yeah man um it's it's odd how many folks that i've interacted with that i didn't know who they were to the degree of who they were bill is one um so he would be at the studio a lot uh, with Kevin Booth, my buddy Kevin Booth, and they were doing like, you know, Ninja Bachelor Party or uh, any number of little clips that they worked on at Access. So while I was there doing Capsize, Bill and Kevin were there editing and we'd meet out at the picnic table and discuss the Bible or something and uh, <laughs> hang out. The way that's um, got to be code for play tiddlywinks. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I knew Bill was into comedy. I knew he did stand up, but uh, I wasn't sure to what degree or whatever, you know. And uh, Kevin said, hey, Bill wanted to come on the show this week. Is Do you have a slot? And I'm like, sure. You know, what is he going to do? You know, he's like, well, he wants to talk about the uh, the Waco thing. And, yeah. I'm like, and he's got a gig at the Cap City. And I was like, yeah, sure, of course. So he gets there that night. And uh, walks in and says, hey, what's going on? Who's doing the interview? And I'm like, oh, interview? Okay, I thought you might have just like been doing some stand-up or something. So uh, what do we talk about? Oh, and shit. He's like, well, uh, we can talk about, uh, of course, the Waco thing. We can uh, talk about uh, being uh, thrown off Letterman a few weeks ago. And I was like, yeah, right. And he's like, no, no, yeah. I was on Letterman, and they, they censored my spot. And I was like, whoa, yeah. And then he was like, um, I guess we could talk about the uh, HBO special I have in Europe. And I was like, yeah, right. And he's like, no. Yeah. And I was like, so you oh. didn't you didn't realize that he was like this bad motherfucker because he didn't come off that way because he's just I wasn't a, like, you he's know, a knucklehead. Well, you figured it out that he was just a knucklehead from Houston. And then all of a sudden he's not a knucklehead from Houston anymore. Exactly. But he is so, still a know, knucklehead from Houston. Aren't we all like a knucklehead from wherever, man? Pretty and, much. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we went out there and chatted. And I'd, I'd say if you watch that, the first half of it, you'll notice there's like just me and him talking and just he talks about the things he wants to talk about. But we're just chatting, you know, and yeah. uh, about halfway through, I look back. And the band that was supposed to be next on the show is waiting in the wings. And I'm like, well, I appreciate you coming coming man and you know we're gonna move on and uh he looks at the phone he looks at me and he said man i'd really like to take those calls and i'm like i look at the band they're like go ahead go ahead and i'm like all right you're live and then the last half of the show is him that was one of the only if not the only performer we've had on taking live calls that did not get one bad call uh everybody was like bill hicks bill hicks oh like, shit wow you know, okay Got to people obviously knew who he was because by the time they got on the air, they were like, Oh my god, oh my god. And so that's how that went down. Wow. And, yeah. and you said that was his last uh videotaped interview. 
Yep. He drove out to Florida to do some shows. I think he did a radio interview and then he drove home to his parents and passed away. Wow. Heavy. So did you ever go to, did you ever go to film a band or tape a, a band and, and get there and find an opening act that just blew you away? man almost every night of the week when i was doing the back room shoots you know that was one of my things man i would go and usually i would gravitate to shoot shows where i knew one band was good and there were three other bands playing that i could tape and i'd go tape probably a bigger chunk of the band i knew but at least 15 minutes from the bands i had never heard of and uh man there's so many bands that i became aware of that way and uh napoleon machine gun was one they were on one of those pariah shows i heard they did a reunion show recently it's crazy yeah san antonio band yeah yeah who else who else comes to mind um as far as bands that i really became a follower of um i think i got into near dark that way i had caught them at uh, the black cat lounge and man they became one of my favorites you know um the um oh god what was it it was uh quentin's band pony trap I didn't even know it was Quentin's band and I stumbled onto that. So there's kind of a duality there with those guys. Yeah. Um, there's always somebody out there that just, you never know. And they blow you away. I mean, there's a band I saw recently uh, at ABGB and I had gone to shoot someone else. They're called, uh, well, I say recently, it's probably been about five years now, but a whole other musical thing than what we've been talking about, but a band called Pelvis Wrestling. They're blow me away, man. Really eclectic. And now they're, they're like on, uh, KUTX and playing all the cool places and doing well. Wow. But yeah, there's always one, man. Uh, you know, a funny story is when Raw Time was on, they'd send people through to do interviews and whatnot. And I guess uh, the the band Blur had become pretty big in Europe and their first tour over in America to try to play it big, you know, to get big, they were playing all the small venues and stuff. And they sent Blur over to do Raw Time uh, to do an interview. And uh, Oh, it's probably 91, maybe 92. I remember it was in the little studio, so it, it had to be pretty early on. And they came in and we had the video and I, I, you know, I set up the chairs and all of them came in and we put on the, we had the little lavalier mics back then and had them in and I had the bio and I was like, all right, let's do this thing. And, you know, albeit I was asking bio questions, which who yeah. likes that? It sucks. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. But uh, they were given one word answers. You know, I was like, so you came to the United States from Europe. You had this great following. And now you're looking to blossom in the United States. So what do you think of the towns here? Mm-hmm. Great. I was like, oh, about <laughs> three of those out. And uh, I was like, all right, well, here's the video from Blur. We're going to cut to that and uh, we'll be back. And I cut to that and I said, see ya. Go bye. Bye bye. And Tim, <laughs> take off. Did you kick them out of the studio? Kick them out of the studio. <laughs> they didn't want to be just there. Just a blur. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't want to be there. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I get it. But. Yeah. Who's the Who's been the opposite? Who did you have in the studio that you maybe were aware of, and maybe you were even somewhat of a fan? But once you sat down and got talking, they just really blew you away with either their intellect or their sense of humor or their knowledge of music or whatever. One of the first ones that comes to mind wasn't in the studio, and I've yet to put my hand on the tape, but I think I might have it in a box that just went and retrieved from John Moore, who's been helping me with storage. Uh, He's producing a documentary on Access that's yet to been released, so when that comes out, it's going to be amazing. It's called When We Were Live. So he's been doing a bunch of my footage, and I went and got some boxes. 
at the Austin Chronicle Awards one year, I caught up with Lloyd Maines and uh, got to sit down unexpectedly. We just picked a room and started chatting. And I knew so much because I'm a big Lubbock fan, like Lloyd Maines, Terry Allen, Joe Ely, Butch Hancock, Jimmy Dale. That's speaking my language. So yeah. I just went on and on and on with him. And we just chatted. And he was so great to hear stories about, you know, folks, Jesse Taylor and just all the stuff I admired. Uh, and at the end of the interview, he was like, where are your notes, man? And I'm like, ah, those notes, man. I'm just a fan, you know, and he was very impressed. I was very impressed. So that's the first one that comes to mind. Um, there's a lot of people that impress me in many ways. Um, Van Wilkes has played in the studio a few times. Um, he's a legend, man. He goes back yeah. to Fools in the 70s. He, uh, he's badass. Me and, me and him have had this super long, well, since since the 80s, uh, respect for one another. Like yeah. Anytime I see Van, it's just like, oh man, you're the you're the king. No man, you're the daddy o. No, you're the king, bro. <laughs> so yeah, that's really that's really cool that you have that relationship with a lot of that. I don't want to call it old Austin, but mm -hmm. but you know, uh, Lloyd Maines is it. You can't really get a bigger name as far as uh, legacy and legend. Yeah, totally, man. He's got nothing but talent. I love that yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, I was really stoked when it happened. I think we captured a really good moment when Nathan interviewed Godzilla Motor Company. I thought that was cool. Y'all debuted Wreck, I think, on the show. Is that right? I, yeah. Yep. I think that you're right. Who was who did the sit down? Me and Bobby, or was yeah, it you and it, Bobby and uh, Ben Nathan did the interview? Chris? It seems like was Chris there for one break? It seems like Chris might have been there too. Yeah, yeah, we definitely didn't have your drummer. Yeah, which one? Uh, I, I think yeah. uh, Keith was in it at the hot minute. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> no stories about Keith. No, can't go there. But so, so, you know, the, um, the interesting thing, uh, about the longevity here, what would you, I feel like we're going backwards a little bit, but I just want to bring it up again, just to emphasize why, why do you, why are you still doing this? You obviously have a job. You have to pay bills, and and this is a, a complete uh, passion project. That's a, a a project. You don't really call it a project after a while when when you've been doing it. Fill in the number. How many years? Twenty five, thirty, twenty thirty. Approaching forty. Like uh, what is it? Ninety to. Yeah. I mean, I was taping in the 80s, but I was yeah. on TV in 1990. So, right. okay. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Doing it some, somewhat under the professional uh, yeah. name. Right. Why? Um, man, it's gone from so many things, and it always will be that I'm a fan. Right. Ah. So, first and foremost, I'm a fan. Uh, I think secondarily, I'm a nerd. I like, electronic toys and you are in the right fucking room right now bro yeah <laughs> there's so, some know, fan I, nerd shit going on here uh, every all the that's what art <laughs> that's what this is yeah so. man um i think so to be clear i wish i had a job i do a lot of 1099 work so if you're looking to hire somebody like me please let me know <laughs> well, well let's I, let's do it let's do an ad what do you what do you do what, what can well, we hire you for 
You know, honestly, I this is kind of a weird thing. And one of the main reasons maybe that you haven't seen what I do go bigger is because um, I have this weird thing, not that I'm opposed to it at this day and age, but when I start working in my field of expertise, I can't do it for fun. So like I used to work for the Austin Music Network and I would put in 40 hours a week editing their videos and doing their productions. And then Saturday would roll around and I was like, oh man, I got to do the show. So I don't know that I would be exploring work, but I am very capable in all Adobe products. I can edit uh, pictures, videos, uh, creative mind to cut it together shooting camera expert i can do all that audio um, too i have been doing courier work more than anything which is like the yin and yang so like when i go do z i'm better at doing a so yeah. a to z is is different you know yeah. um i would do anything that paid the bills well honestly i i am capable of a lot of things from you know i've, I've been in insurance almost 20 years at one point i have wow. customer service uh i do courier work mostly now i'm trying to i've been applying for medical couriers because it pays well you know but i wow. and if you got money and you want to put my name on the check I, let me know I, i'll look into it <laughs> I get Woo! what you're saying, though, yeah. you know, um, I, I've been a lot of people assume that because of my background, they think that what I do for a living is interview bands and write for magazines and stuff. I still and, think that about Dave, I know. about both. A Daves. lot of people think about that's both my bread of the and Daves butter here. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of people think that's my bread and butter, but they, they don't know that, you know, I have a 40 hour a week straight job, if you will, day job, whatever. Uh, but I hear what you're saying. Um, it's like as much as passionate as I am about music, if I did it 40 hours a week and then tried to do it in my spare time for the excitement and the passion of it, that would be diluted because I'm so worn out from the nine to five grind. So I, I kind of I hear what you're saying. And then it's like I almost prefer it to not be my job so that I am excited about it and I can pour my passion and my heart into it and make it the best it can be rather than just checking a box because the clock is ticking. Totally. And so that brings me back to kind of answering, you know, why I do it. And it, it'll always be the tech nerd. It'll always be the fan. But these days, um, I had discussed early on in my relationship with my now wife, how while I have all the toys and I have all the knowledge and I have all the capability, it's landing flat. Why don't I like what I'm doing? Why am I just discouraged? You know, uh, I left doing TV to do it on my own. And I've got every opportunity to go in every club. God bless every club in this town that lets me walk through the door and just do my thing. It's a, it's a beauty. I'm blessed. I'll never forget it. But I just didn't feel a connection. I got a YouTube channel with like 15,000 subscribers at the time, but I was still just like, I don't know, man. It's just not what I want to do. I surely don't want to be the guy with the goth girl videos on YouTube. You know, I need some people to see the art that I'm doing. And yeah. uh, so what I figured I was missing was the local connection. We had a long talk about passion and art and being an artist. And I realized, man, I am missing that local connection. And yeah. at the time, I was living out of town and concerned that I couldn't access the studio facility again. But uh, a little research led me to the fact that 
San Marcos is now included in their area for being able to produce. So that's what got this new ball rolling again. At the time I was living in the San Marcos area and I took some new courses to go back and do TV again. But I was like, it ain't day TV. This is capsize. This is my passion. This is why I started. This is what I need. I will not do this if I cannot get as many people from my history to come back and do this with me. I reached out to Nathan and James right away. And uh, James was like, all right, where, where do I sign up? He was like, you're dragging me in again? I'm like, yes, I am. And uh, Nathan was like, I'm not doing TV. He was like, I get, no, I'm not doing TV. <laughs> and then finally I took a picture of me in the studio taking the course. And he's like, when's the course? Oh. <laughs> and he took the course and his famous line for the first few months we did this last incarnation of the show with him on it was, I'm not doing TV. I'm here at the studio. I don't know what this is, but no, I'm not doing TV. He was doing TV. Yeah. And we had some great times and uh, we left on a high note, unfortunately on the way back from uh, New Mexico, we had taken a, a, a great trip and we were coming home and uh, got into the airport, a lot of drama with the flight home. As soon as we walked in the door, my phone lit up with a call from Nathan's daughter who I never hear from. And I was like, I don't wanna answer that call. Mm -hmm. And uh, my bride said, you got to. And that's when I learned I lost my best friend, man. Yeah. And the next, day we were back in town i had to well i had a band scheduled for the tv show where he would have been right there you know and uh everyone's like are you gonna cancel i'm like no i can't cancel he'll kick my ass man yeah so i went in and we did the show man and i've been doing it every week well, since and it's tough to look out there and not see him but yeah. uh he's a part of our history man a big part of it yeah, he he's a part of everybody's history in this yeah. town. If you're if you're even remotely involved in music, uh, Nathan had an impact somehow. Uh, a huge, huge, huge loss for the Austin music community, and I know it it hit you especially hard because you have such a long history with him, and you guys have accomplished so much together. And uh, man, I had like, to keep my, going. Like now, it's sealed. Like this is this is. Uh my death rider man <laughs> you yeah. know hypers right yeah yeah how many years was he uh with you as as a partner how many years were you guys the he died? came on in 91 man and you know he probably didn't have more than a year off the, the several times that i <laughs> told him don't come around here no more but uh you know <laughs> like anybody you know over 30 years you have ups and downs right so yeah that's uh, normal yeah he's a part of it from 91 until then so um Amazing. you know just as much as me and the passion that he brought and the bonding that he he did like i'm i'm mr task i'm like a to b run the cable run the mic do the mix and he's like hey 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 and getting everybody like in the mood so we yeah. all have our little pieces man yeah yeah <laughs> but that's well, why that's why i gotta keep doing it man i'm i i think you know steve wonderbread made a film it's lifers we're lifers man yeah yeah you mentioned uh, one of the reasons you do this is you were a fan first. Do you remember what what was it that got you hooked on music as a kid? What oh, album or concert or whatever? What what what? When did the music bug bite you? 
Ooh, it was definitely the seventies. My grandparents uh, were the were who raised me, and they were the type that uh, had an old seventy eight RPM record recorder and sat around the campfires playing songs with the family. And uh, big country music fans, you know, all of the real stuff, Hank Senior, and all those old cats. And and I grew up in a house with that stuff on all the time. Uh, they took me out to see Ernest Tubb, legend when I was very young and I was wow. like, what's all this live music? And it was really neat, you know? And I, uh, I definitely was that been... around here. Was that around? Here? I was, uh, let's see. Ernest Hope was actually in Lano. Uh, I think it was 78, 77 or 78. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk about so that's culture. Crazy. That's culture. Yeah. That was yeah. my actual real first live show. And, uh, wow. you know, I got to see a local band play like Led Zeppelin covers every time they play in Lano when I was sure. like a kid. Yeah. Um, when I got to Austin, um, man, I'm trying to think of what the first live concert I went to. And I want to say, uh, I want to say it was the Cars and Nick Lowe, February of 82. Holy Yeah. Sounds right. <laughs> um, That's so I did a good that. Gig. That's a good gig, man. Oh, what a gig the car yeah. is amazing elliot easton yeah come on. do you remember the venue the the irwin center Irwin. Yeah. okay right okay yep yep irwin wow. center um the, the irwin center know, in 82. oh yeah man and then i remember my grandfather on the 1984 van halen tour dropped me off in front of the big frank irwin center sign out front with 50 bucks i felt like a king uh i went in and i bought uh like two shirts the Van Halen necklace, the tour program, food, drink, 50 bucks, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't do that anymore for 50 bucks. I remember Ted Nugent at the Irwin Center when t-shirts were seven bucks. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, I remember hollering out uh, free for all from the floor at Ted Nugent. And he's like, what's that? Free for all. And they played it. I felt like a king. Yeah, man. <laughs> what did yeah. you... Um, Besides music, um, you, you obviously have this passion for video. Was there anybody, you, you talked at the beginning of the conversation about how when you got here, there was already some people that had like local cable TV shows and they were sort of doing their thing. But on a on a bigger scale, was there, were you a, always a fan of cinema? Like, did you go to the movies and could you appreciate it at a young age, like special effects and camera angles and that sort of thing? Were you driven by that or was it all about the music and the camera was just something you took along and sort of eventually mastered it? Yes and no. I will say with movies and angles and, and shots and stuff, I'm the most annoying person in the world to watch TV with because you're trying to, my wife will testify, you're trying to focus on like what the show is about. And I'm like, oh, did you see how they did that Zoom shot from the, and they panned around? That's all one shot. I'm mean, like, shut up. Yeah, that happens but, around here a little <laughs> bit too. I get that, man. I don't really have that going back, but I have a similar thing of that, right? So back when I was young, I watched the Midnight Special and Blue Jean Network, which probably nobody remembers. Do you, Jason? Not I Blue remember. Jean Network, but. Yeah, man. So Any Blue Jean Network full-length concerts and you know midnight special was cool but they just had a few songs or whatever blue jean network was like a 90 minute show 
uh, or it was two bands in their 90 minutes, so 45 each or whatever. But, you know, it was Billy Squire, Kiss, Sheep Trick, Heart, Blondie, you know the drill. Classic and rock, yeah. All live, all live, wow. you know, in my eye, as it happened. But as we know later, you know, the tough stuff was cut out. But yeah, uh, it seemed like a flowing concert, you know, and I always paced, not consciously, but I realized when I look back at how I do what I do to this day, I pace it on the way those shots happen, man. If somebody's singing, let me see the singer. If it's a lead, let me see the lead. If it's the drummer, let me see the drummer. Shoot with your ear is what I tell everybody who comes to work camera for me. And that comes from the Midnight Special and from Blue Jean Network. Yep. Wow. That's wow. what I wanted to hear. That's so, good stuff right that's there. That's perfect credit uh, to... If you're not a fan, you need to have someone in your ear. If there is, in, if there is comms, right, to say uh, it's the guitar solo dummy camera five. It's the guitar yeah. solo, right? Missed it. You missed a fucking guitar solo, and that's in their ear. Where <laughs> there's a camera. What? I didn't do anything. But that's the live edit. That's yeah. someone in the editing room. If they're not flicking on camera five and turning off th four or whatever. I became much nicer as the years went on. I'm a lot nicer. But when I had intercoms, which we don't use now, right. when I had intercoms, Nathan would have told you so many stories. And James can tell you many stories where I have said things like, what the fuck are you doing? Do you even know what a camera is? Wow. <laughs> but yeah, I don't do that anymore. Well, you know, it's it is it can be annoying when something really badass is happening live and you your editor your live editor that's different i mean if you have the footage and you're gonna you're gonna edit and post that's a different game as we all know but uh which i prefer but the yes, but the that's what we do now i much prefer right. it that's right but the <laughs> when you're doing it live and and you and you can't get the edit the edits right when you and you miss something phenomenally magical say that five times fast that's it's gone because it's fucking live yep it is gone oh, yeah. it's funny because just going back to the mail thing it doesn't really matter but when you said that that was the only show from back in the day of live switching that i ran a yeah. b-roll deck so while i was live switching i had a second deck going that with this hand i would click the backup cameras and send those cameras i weren't using to that tape while the live switch was going oh, on this other tape. Smart. And that's one of the reasons that video is so fantastically magnificent or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> How, who, uh, phenomenally who magical. That's it. Phenomenally, phenomenally magical. magical. Yeah, phenomenally magical. Who have you uh, wanted to have on the show as a guest or who have you wanted to film and they have so far been elusive. And obviously, we all want to say Paul McCartney and Elton John and all that stuff. But within reason, within the Texas music community, the area in which you specialize in, who are some of the ones that got away? Jason McMaster's band. <laughs> I want him in the studio. I don't care what band, but I want you to come play in the studio. That's one okay. of my life goals if you're asking new okay. year's resolution we'll get we'll get something happening i don't care who <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll get bad we'll get something bad. we'll get care. something happen we'll get yeah. something we'll make it happen there's a lot of acts that uh i would have liked to have had in there um 
I, what's a good example? Like I would have loved to have had Pariah in the studio. Mm. You see, for me, it's a whole nother game. While I may have caught a band in a club, what we do in the studio is what I feel my art is, not that doing it on location isn't. But what we do in the studio is kind of where my my passion for the art lies anymore. Okay. Um, yeah. So I would love to have had Pariah in the studio at the time we were doing it. It probably wouldn't have been as great as it would be professionally at this time but the moments man god bless sims dude yeah. like that would have been amazing you know um you know uh there's some folks i've never just asked and probably could have had on uh weird just the weird like i'd love to i did have jimmy dale gilmore trio yeah. come on with jesse taylor that's cool. i'd love to have the flatlanders on but i'm scared to ask <laughs> right that's right. good oh. Yeah, a lot of the times the folks that I haven't had on are probably because I'm scared to get a no. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I guess, honestly, like, when I say that out loud, I go, well, the passion in me comes from being the opposite side of that when someone approaches me because they want to play the show, but they're scared after seeing somebody thinking, how do I get on this show? But they just reach out anyway and go, I'm going to play, man. And I'm like, when are you open? And I put them on the show. You know, uh, it's happened a lot recently with some younger people like teenagers and 20 somethings that saw something somehow online and was like, we have a band, man. How do we play? And yeah. here's a date. And they're like, uh, uh, I'm like, yep. And yeah. that's, that sets me on fire, dude. Well, this kind of goes back to what Jason was talking about earlier. Um, you know, if you if you want the Flatlanders on your show, you should just ask them because you probably don't give yourself enough credit because you're too modest. Uh, <laughs> but they might they might actually go, "Wow, we know that guy. He's got a body of work that's incredible. That's right. Sure, it's no skin off our back." And of yeah, course, I, they can always say no, but you yeah. might be surprised how well known you are in those circles that you don't think you really add up or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's really weird that you say that one is a great example, because I do know all three of those cats. Like I yeah. went to all their solo shows every time. And like the Flatlanders was this mysterious thing that used to be and never happened. And then they got back together. Like, you know, I'm like, what? But I went to see Butch all the time. I went to see Joe all the time. I went to see Jimmy all the time. And uh, now that they're back together, dude, that would be a dream. So, yeah. Hey, if you guys watch Talk Louder, I'm easy to reach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if any of those guys watch Talk Louder. Um, you never know. It, it, yeah. The, back to the the kids having the, the you know, the teens and the 20-somethings. Hey, I have a band. Well, I have a TV show. We want to play your TV show. Okay, done. Here's a date. Uh-uh. Right? Yeah. So. This is this is something that we I didn't I mean we I called what you do many 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 things but providing a service is the reason you're not out to do this to provide a service but the 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 giant you know trophy and and you know the Dave Pruitt statue you mentioned earlier that I I'm going to lobby for one day um that's it that's why. And it's yeah. probably not something that you would think of when you just, oh, it's just a, a nerd with a video show, you know, oh, well, well, 
that's not when you think about the story you just told it it took two seconds to tell that you you've got a camera and you got a room and you got some microphones and these kids see that and they go man that's awesome can we play like hey can we come to your house and play at your party it's the same thing it's the same fucking thing and so work so well together you know right like the band the band mentality right yeah yeah, well, it, it's yeah. it's full circle. It's kind of all coming from the same place. And it's like going to the studio. It's like, hey, we wrote a song. What do we do with it? We'll come play it on my TV show. Yep. But how do you feel like uh, like the, the younger, the newer, the newest generation is hearing about your show? Do they see it? Do they meet you in line at the Taco Bell? What What is it? It's crazy. I guess it's mostly YouTube. Um, I don't think a lot of people watch TV anymore, even though, you know, like I said, when I came back to do the show, I felt like the piece that was missing was being played, seen and produced locally. So that's why I came back to the studio to do it on TV is to get that local piece back. But um, I feel like they run across it on YouTube most of the time. I am very busy on socials. I do the TikTok and Instagram and like, all of it, you know, and uh, they'll see a little clip from somewhere and be like, whoa, what's that? And then they reach out and it's that yeah. simple. And I know, Jason, you you work with the, the kids in music and there's nothing that fuels your fire more than somebody young who has that uh, that mentality of music's changing my life. You know, as we get older, we come and go with the uh, the power of that. Uh, you've got a great rap about, you know, the jacket and the patches and the fury and the passion. And that's what it's about. And when you see that in somebody, usually a younger person who's just getting into the scene, it puts your fire back on. So that stuff is why I do it. Yeah. Yeah. Wanting to inspire young people and, and having, uh, having a, you know, it's not just because you love rock and roll, but you know what it is. Just because I love rock and roll, I want more people to like rock and roll the same way that I do, that I did when I was a young person. Yep. But, you know, not to go too deep on it now, there is something that's happening in the world that is keeping young people from understanding how how music can save their life. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to blame it on parents. I'm not going to blame it on, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, what their situation is at home, but it could be that something that's stifling that, uh, uh, open mindedness to art. Uh, because, you know, I always preach the, uh, I'm not on my soapbox. I'm just mentioning these things. I, I always talk about, you know, some uh, households, there's no freedom. And I'm, I mean that in a generic form freedom to, for that young person to even just dress the way they want to, or wear their hair the way they want to. something simple. That's very mundane. That shouldn't even be stifled at all. Uh, because I feel like parent, I'm not a parent, but I feel like parents can easily be embarrassed in public when they show up in their daughter or their son's wearing eyeliner and has purple hair and uh, tattoos and they're 13, you know, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> or whatever it is. And, and I feel like 
sometimes that's like my kids can do whatever they want as long as they uh, sit down for dinner on time, get straight A's. And that, if that's all they have to do, they can be whoever they want to be all the time. And as long as they get a job and pay bills, and you know what I mean? Like that's parenting, like doing the right things. You can be what and whoever you fucking want to. That's rock and roll, rock and roll, punk, that attitude, that mindset, that is important. Okay, now I'm on my soapbox. That's all good. Even one foot is fine. (laughs) But the point, the point is things are different with young people now. And I blame a lot of it on COVID because if you're in second grade and then five years of your life have been stolen away at your, of your childhood and the way that you've developed as a person, you're not in second grade anymore. You're in like eighth. Yeah. Yeah. You, you lost a lot of, uh, you know what I mean? And I'm yeah. seeing it because I work for School of Rock. I see yep. it right in front of me. And it's just, it's really sad because it's I feel like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we can, but the School of Rock and, and uh, places of fundamental art, right? Because that's all we are is fundamental art. Uh, yeah. It's what we sell, but we sell responsibility and we sell. And that's just hard because if you were just like, free for fuck all because of COVID, no school, all right, you know, and you lose any kind of sense of uh, responsibility. These kids don't do their homework, and I'm talking about learning, uh, you know, a Slayer song. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) if you don't learn that, you're not getting any dinner unless you come out of your room knowing how to play Angel of Death. Nope, all right, play, play it for me. Nope, that's wrong. Back to your room, no dinner for you. Play Angel of Death correctly. Do you see what I'm talking about? Totally, man. Think about us when we were in eighth grade and our only job to get dinner was to learn a Slayer song on guitar. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? It's like there's something pretty badass about that, but I think that it's... I try to worry about how to fit patches on my FFA jacket. (laughs) Any, anyway, I think that what you're doing and the, uh, whatever you're you're doing for a, a young person to go, man, that's badass. I want to pl- I want to play rock and roll on your TV show. Yep. I think that that's just as cool as, wow, show me how to play that riff. It's the right. same fucking thing. Love Someone it. sees Dave and one and goes, hey Dave, wow, can my band play on your? It's the same thing as, wow, that was cool. Show me how to do that. It's yeah. the, it's the yeah. same thing, man. I, yeah. I totally, I, I totally relate to Dave in this sense. Uh, you know, he and I obviously both love music and to my knowledge, Dave's not a musician. I'm not a musician, but I think one of the things we got into this for in our respective fields is we, we enjoy music so much that we want other people to be as excited about it as we are. Yeah. And my way of relaying that excitement is through the written word and now on this podcast. That's how I did it. I did it through journalism. Dave is doing it through film and broadcast and television. And I think we, because we're not musicians, but we're excited about music, we still have a need to be connected to it. And we want other people to feel it you know, as excited about it as we are. And this is our avenue for reaching those folks. 100%. I've bought guitars, I've tried, and I ended up giving them to my older son, Will, and that's why he's a musician now. My my younger boy, Ryan's a drummer, so the music went that way. I know G and D. If you got any song I can do on G and D, we're, we're set, I'll, I'll play. 
Oh man, we can start a Bob Dylan tribute band tomorrow. <laughs> but uh yeah, man, it's a passion. Um I I love to see people get inspired by music. It makes me happy and uh you know, I love people when they see what they've done and can appreciate it. And even if they don't like what they did, they learn from it and learn how to do it again the next time. Yeah. Uh, so that's a big part of it as well. I love when a, a band tells me, uh, I've never been able to have my parents see what I do because they're not going to come to the club. But this was such a great example. I sent it to them and they loved it. So they like watch what we do and see their children in a band. It's see, that's a that's a that's an avenue, an outlet that uh, a tool, uh, 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 a dessert, uh, call it whatever you want, that is helping uh, spread the word. Yeah, and helping uh, bond, bonding, and connection. Um, So just kind of basic social awareness too when you uh i want to switch a little bit so bloody and bruised the untold story of the back room uh uh i want to hear you talk about that uh i want to hear i mean i have an opinion that the the trailers that are the current the most recent trailer the uh, the long trailer for this film that we hope will come out in 24 or 25 um, about our stomping ground. One of, one of the, uh, you know, the legendary backroom club uh, uh, in Austin, Texas. Uh, this, this film, the trailers, I feel would not be as, uh, important now right now more than ever with the recent passing of nathan dude the shit that he's saying in the movie the shit that they used in that i don't think that there could have been a movie if they wouldn't have had nathan in it yep the movie would be this a giant chunk down on my five star rating before the fucking thing even comes out without nathan the shit that they they got gold from him and it's in the trailers and How, from james uh dave's archives too are a, play a big part in that movie. oh yeah oh, oh yeah yeah they wouldn't have even been able to, to shoot the the short version of the film that that's actually uh you know the one longer than the actual trailer but yeah i'm just talking about trailers and the short the 40 minute version that i, I believe the three of us have seen um tell us how you feel when you now today when you see nathan on there just preaching just telling the real do you feel the same way i do that they, it just wouldn't even it spark, it's been, fucking sparkle bro absolutely it's sparkle it's it's i feel spoiled because i got that guy every weekend for decades right like he always brought the game and uh, he always made the difference. And uh, we would not be what we are without what he brought to our game. And that is what he's doing there. Uh, it would not be the same. It would not wow. have the passion. When he spoke, you listened. Uh, he, 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 he was funny, but he was serious. He yeah. communicated to you in a way that 
you could understand and made you feel like it mattered. Like you, you knew this guy wasn't making it up. Like this was facts. He lived and breathed it and uh, communicated it well and was somebody you might want to be best friends with. And that's gold, man. <laughs> Man, if your party sucked, you need to call Nathan. Hundred <laughs> percent, man. Man, this party sucks, man. Hey, Nathan, can you come over and fucking plug this party in, please? And, and we kind of did that on TV for years, you know. Yeah, People you did. In and man, we try to do our best, you know. So. Yeah, you did. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that I feel like the movie is going to be a great tool uh to to uh you know uh continue the legacy and the stories and make the stories uh, be vi a visual uh tool for for what the backroom did for us all absolutely uh, but i, I but i just feel like uh you know nathan just killed it in, in there for those guys and now that he's gone it's just it's just so it's such gold and it it's going to mean something different to everyone who knew the guy when that shit hits the big screen. Absolutely, man. Yeah. It's going to be a it, weird day to see that, man. It is. It is. Yeah. I'm sure the world uh, is going to feel all of these things we've said with him. It's funny. We all, I'm sure you feel all, both of you to a certain degree, the same about whatever legacy you're proudest of. And, and when um, John Boudreau and the gang reached out to me about doing the film, um, I was very protected. You know, this is some stuff that we collectively, not just because I hit record, but the bands and the people involved, we um, put a lot of care into. And when you talk about, hey, can I put your thing in this movie? I'm like, tell me more. And uh, I was a little at first concerned, to be frank, that they were going to be going into the 2000s version, because to me, that turned into a different thing. You know, I, um, I know what that. you're saying. And can I jump in for two yeah. seconds and go, I felt the same way about being protective. Yes. So I was like, Hmm, okay, well, so you're not just going to take my riddle and kids and cruiserweight footage, right? You're, you're, you're going to go a little further, right? Like, and they were like, actually, we're going back to the seventies. I was like, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's a, it's yeah. it's quite a different uh uh companion uh story uh than I ever thought it was going to be after I've seen the trailer. I mean, I I had my I had a little bit of doubt going all the way up until mm -hmm. I saw the 40 minute trailer. There you go. The teaser. I, you know the, what got yeah, me was the passion. I, when yes. I, I sorry to interrupt, but when I saw John and, and Boudreaux's passion about the game and all they put into it, I was like, oh, they might just get it. They might just get it. Yeah. And uh, I was all in at that point. Yeah. yeah. So when someone calls you like John or, or Boudreaux, they, they're interested in, they call Dave Pruitt because they want some footage of, say. Hold on, hold on, Dave, Metal Dave, hold on a second. Who the fuck else are they going to call, bitch? Well, this is yeah, yeah. So what what I'm getting at is when someone calls you, what is what is your archive look like? I mean, what kind of, what kind of chore is it to find, you know, Pariah in 1988 or 
near dark in 19, you know, 90. And, so, not, and you've got multiple gigs from all these bands. So what is it? How what's the process for locating and picking and combing through stuff like these guys probably did in for, in, for in my movie. mind, I love the question, Dave. I'm sorry. In my in my mind, I hear beep beep beep. It's a forklift with pallets and shit of tape. It's, it's all of that stuff over there. Like okay, all of that you see. So for sure, I, it, my first thought is I go to my hard drives and hit Control F, and I'm like, oh, please be archived already. Please let me find what they're looking for, so I can just <laughs> drag and drop it. But when it's not, um, so just like the tapes you see behind Jason, I've got a garage full. I just got like case a carload full of, of tapes that John Moore was holding on to me on to for me uh, and put them in there. And I've got a carload and a half to go that I had had in storage, just no room. And now we've got a beautiful place in South Austin. And I want to I've got a little dubbing rack set up and I'm releasing stuff to my YouTube from the archives on a pretty regular basis. So I need to start going through everything. So I'm getting it home. Um, so there's boxes and crates and little boxes and big boxes. And the thing with that is there's no chart to refer to what's in what, and it often changes, but it's kind of like muscle memory. Like if you were to ask me where Pariah at the Continental Club in 88 or nine was, I'd be like, I know that box and I'll go get that box. And I'll go get that tape. I hope no one else has to worry about that when I'm gone. Because you will not. Yeah. There's no way to find them. But I have a very good muscle memory of like what's in each box. And yeah. there's no math to it. They're not categorized by alphabet or year or genre or venue. But I have like a picture in my mind when I see, oh, there's that Savias tape. I know down here is going to be the Herlock one, you know, like. That kind of thing. Yeah. You know that I wow. work with Ahmed at School of Rock, right? Ahmed! Yeah, Helmet Head! Ahmed Garcia. Yeah. That's amazing. I love Ahmed. Great guy. Yeah, he is a great guy. And what is what is that saying, uh, Dave, I may be metal and I may be Dave? <laughs> That's classic. Jason, I don't know if you've heard this story. I don't know this. Tell me the story. Some, somebody came up. I want to say it was at Red Eye Fly. It was. We were at a show at Red Eye Fly, and Dave comes up to me and he goes, he goes, some guy just came up to me and said, are you Metal Dave? And Dave said, well, I'm Metal and I'm Dave, but I'm not Metal Dave. <laughs> <laughs> That's really great. The only one and only. But one you were just telling the truth, classic. man. You that were just classic. telling the truth. And the Red Eye wow. Fly, good times, man. Yeah. Yeah. That building is condemned. Yeah. It's condemned. Wow. There's signs on it. It's condemned. Yeah. Really? It's it's falling into the creek. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, the ground is, it, you probably were not supposed to build anything on there, but they probably were, ah, this will be fine. We're just going to need a bigger boat. You know, I think that uh, <laughs> it's, it's just the ground is crumbling into the creek right there, so... Wow. That bar that is like, you know, where the stage and there's that bar they just had the curtain in front of. It's I saw gone. someone one night, you know, lean up against the curtain and go flop. Yeah. <laughs> Almost go all the way down. Yeah. Kimberly from One Eye Doll dropped her guitar mid set and jumped over and pulled him back up. Wow. So Jason, where was that? Me and we saw Airborne playing on some patio that backed up to that creek. 
That uh, is uh that is Empire Control Room. Oh right, right. That's Empire Control Room. And that's that's on the creek, but it's a little further uh north. It's just north of there. Wait. No, it's south. It's just it's south, south, but it's yeah. the same it's 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 beyond Beerland. It's like uh yeah, it's around the corner. I just remember thinking these guys are about two steps from I think there might have been a railing, but at one point yeah. the they're, you know, they're climbing on the picnic tables and whatnot. And I'm thinking, man, one slip and somebody's going backwards over down that creek. hundred <laughs> percent, man. That's the, that's the outdoor, uh, that's the out, outdoor, uh, picnic table area between yeah. the big outdoor venue that Empire has now, which is a beautiful venue, by the way. Yeah. And yeah. then the inside, the back door to the inside stage is right there. So in that sort of like, uh, triangle there. That's where the railing is to to where you're talking about where we saw Airborne that year, and they fucking smoked. Yeah, it was so crazy. good. Well, Dave, Back tell people where they can find you. Um, you mentioned social media. Here's your chance to plug your your various channels, etc., whatever. I know people are going to listen to this and go, "Oh, I want to see some of his footage or some of the stories that you're talking about, the Bill Hicks kind of thing." So, tell people where they can find uh, what you're currently doing and some of your archives. Absolutely. So, the show is on TV. If you have Spectrum and Grande and you live in Austin. We chose Channel 10 because that's what we did forever. Channel 10 was our home, and I'm on Channel 10. The first couple seasons I've run that show, uh, I don't know what our air date is, but I'll just refer to the last the two seasons, have been on at 10 o'clock. But I'm going back to the logic that I've always had. What's my audience? It's people coming home from, from music, music gigs, from venues, from drinking, from late night work or whatever. That's... Uh, Mijente, those are my people, man. So I am switching starting on season three, which begins in March 2024. Still Channel 10, but we're going on at 2 a.m. So 2 a.m. on Channel 10. That is, I understand, probably irrelevant because nobody watches TV. So I'll also say there is an app for iPhone and Android if you do want to watch live. And the app is called Austin Public, just like the facility is called. It's gone through many names currently known as Austin Public and has been for a while, run by the Austin Film Society. So Austin Public is the app. But the go-to for most folks is my YouTube. So if you go to, and mind you, this is confusing, of course, like anything, the branding of the YouTube was done at a time that I was pushing raw time. So youtube.com slash raw time, R-A-W-T-I-M-E, is my YouTube channel. But not only does it have decades of raw time footage, uh, but decades of capsized footage, clips that never made the show, clips wow. of bands in concert uh, at various venues that I shot for fun, everything you'd ever want from my archive at some point. There's something on my YouTube, youtube.com slash raw time. Uh, if you just go to YouTube and you search, say you want to find Pariah, just search Pariah and raw time. And it'll come up, you know, so that's the easiest way. How okay. long did it take you to get decades of your stuff on the cloud, so to speak? It's a work in progress, but I'll tell you what, man, I was one of the first people pushing the Internet envelope. I was putting uh, they were at the time real video 
files and WMVs on my website. We were sponsored by a place called the Eden Matrix, and I want to say it was 98, 97, 98. That sounds familiar. I feel like I've seen that in like a URL. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Eden.com. Yeah. Uh, it's so old. It was Eden.com slash tilde capsize. You can go to the Wayback wow. Machine and still find some of that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had like 10-second video files and stuff. And people were like, they're never going to watch video on the Internet. It takes an hour to download. So, yeah, see how that went. But uh, yeah. so, you know, I'd say about 98, 7, 8, maybe 99, I started seriously just poof, 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 put it on YouTube. And then... When I was, I referred earlier to like 2001 when I was doing a lot of digital editing at home uh, with Chris Carrillo and I, a couple of cameras and many disc recorders. The first place I put it was YouTube. So it would just go and go. And I just kept pushing it, man. And I'm at, uh, I'm approaching 20,000 subscribers now. And if you haven't subscribed, subscribe and click the bell so you get notifications. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I I applaud your longevity. I applaud your stamina. I mean, it's just crazy to me that you've been doing this. Uh, I remember countless gigs I'd go to, and there you were standing on a table or whatever with your camera, uh, and you've been doing it for an awful long time. And uh, and we're grateful because yeah. you documented a scene that we've enjoyed, we grew up in, uh, and 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 we're grateful to have that documentation that archive that's so rich in in austin music history so I must be welcomed into the fold dude it's crazy to think that i can still go into clubs and do what i do after 30 plus years wait till you see this watchtower video jason and i are working on man it's insane so yeah it's going to be it's going to be a hell of a project and and it'll be free on your on your show it on your site from any kind of streaming it'll be all over the place and it's going to sound and look amazing and it just goes to show that, you know, as far as we go back, we're still here. Yep. We're do still doing the same thing. And technology has been our friend. Well, it's been your friend, not mine, apparently, because <laughs> I'm struggling. But we're going to get it fucking done, man. I'm probably going to be doing it because the weather is going to get it's going to get cold in central Texas. So yep. I ain't going anywhere all weekend. So I'll probably be doing some editing. I got, I'm looking for those emails, man. And what an honor to be on Talk Louder, dude. I really appreciate it. Y'all asked me a long time ago and I was like, no, anxiety. And I ain't got nothing to talk about. Leave me alone. So thanks for asking me back. And I'm glad to have a, a label, uh, an envelope to push and uh, yeah. be on a show with some of my biggest metal heroes. Uh, you two and all the people you've had on the show is is a blessing. So thank you. Uh yeah, and you're, it's, it's, you're more than welcome. We we can easily do a part two because there's there's lots of stuff that we can uh, lots of rabbit holes we can go down <laughs> with uh, with 100%. what with what you do in in historical Austin. So it's kind of important. We should all get together when uh, Bloody and Bruce comes out and do a mega show with everybody, right? Yeah, that, that, that's going to that. be when the when the film when the film gets uh, you know finally sees the light of day yep. uh there will be there will be talk louder will have its place and and we'll probably want to talk to a bunch of different people that are in the film 100 percent, man. yeah yeah 
Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dave. I can't. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. You're a huge part of Austin music history. And uh, like I said, we're grateful for all your dedication and your archives. What a, what a rich, rich history you've captured. And I don't know how you do it after all these years, but I'm glad you do. So passion project, man, passion project. Sean Salm used to say rock louder, man. Yeah. Yes, yeah. we know. We yeah, know. We, know. <laughs> <laughs> we stole half of the song title. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, now I'm so old. I, when I say talk louder, I'm usually like, talk louder. I know. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Dave, thanks so much for being here. On behalf of my co-host, Jace McMaster, I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with our special guest today, Dave Pruitt on the Talk Louder podcast. Yeah.